Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Bounties and Blasters. I am your host, Brad Whipple. And I am your other host, Madison, and we're going to be talking about all things under the Mandalorian mantle. This is a crossover between Friends of the Force and Doing Talking. Heck yeah, it is, and we're going to have so much fun, and we've been waiting to record, and now we're finally here. The time has arrived right before episode three. This episode should be going out probably just before chapter three releases on Friday. So each week we will be recapping the newest episodes on Disney plus and discussing these stories, the complexities and relationships of the characters and exploring the mythology of this wild, wild space odyssey, as you could call it wild Western star Wars. It's pretty great stuff. Pretty great time to be a star Wars fan. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So Madison, we've been waiting a long time for this show. 14 years. Yes, really, we have because Back in 2005, we had rumors of Star Wars Underworld. George Lucas and Rick McCollum were creating it, and we heard there were about 100 hours worth of material and scripts that were written. And me at the the ripe age of 11 or 12 or whatever, whatever age I was back then, this seemed like a pretty exciting thing for uh, a young Star Wars fan. Uh, little did I know I'd, I'd be <laughs> much older when we finally got around to it. So isn't it kind of crazy how far we've come since then to just finally have a, a live action Star Wars show? Yes, I, I just honestly couldn't believe that I was finally getting to sit down and watch a live action Star Wars show. It seems so long overdue. And yeah, it was a moment for sure. I was just so excited. Oh my gosh. When I launched the Disney Plus app, I kind of want to get a feel for where, when you watched... I had taken off work on Tuesday and I had Monday off already. So I was kind of getting set up. I started hearing on Twitter that Disney Plus was going live. Nobody really knew when. It was like, <laughs> when was this app going to launch? Like, the, where were you when Disney Plus launched, you know? Yeah. And I'm just trying to figure it out. And I heard it was on Xbox and I heard it was on Amazon. Somehow randomly found an Amazon fire in my house. So I, I plugged it in. It took forever to boot up because it had to like update and everything. I finally got it loaded. Watch the Mandalorian at 1 a.m. in the morning. It was magical. Yeah, I, I got up in the morning and it wasn't like the crack of dawn, but it was like pretty early in the morning. And I had already gotten the like I'd already gotten my membership and everything. I just wanted to you know watch it on my TV. I was like, this deserves to be watched on my television and not like my little laptop screen. So <laughs> I was going to watch it there. Yeah. And the app crashed like I was oh, taking no. Twitter. Nobody could get it to work. And it was just like maddening because I sat there I had to wait I think about two or three hours after I initially sat down before it finally was working and I got to watch it the anticipation was just crazy oh my gosh <laughs> I was like please I just want to watch this show <laughs> yeah oh gosh what an experience though what a time to be alive there's so much good stuff on Disney Plus. I have been watching nothing but Disney Plus these last like couple weeks, <laughs> I guess, or this last week. I've been doing a Phil of the Future rewatch. Oh, so wow, that's just yeah. been on in the background. In the meantime, while I wait for these Mandalorian episodes, we had three days in between the first two, and now we gotta wait the full week. I'm struggling. Yeah, really. it's hard. <laughs> I was like, man, I've been spoiled getting two episodes in a week, and now I've gotta wait a right. whole week between each one. But I've gotta say, like, I was kind of bummed like when they first said like we're gonna do one episode a week it's not gonna be like Netflix where the whole thing drops at once but I've got to say I'm actually glad that they did it this way now because it gives you time to like process each episode and like really enjoy each episode you know and the way yeah. you get to build up that anticipation for each new one instead of being like 
I'm going to binge this whole thing at once and then it's over, right? You get to enjoy it for longer. So I really like that. I completely agree with you because when you think about a show like Stranger Things this summer, one of the best seasons ever of Stranger Things and people were done talking about it after two weeks. Whereas if yeah, that exactly. show had gone week by week, you're you're going into almost early September with the season finale, like right around prime television time. So yeah. I think this is really giving us a taste for the show each week. And it's also allowing us creatively to focus on each director's vision for The Mandalorian. So like, I mean, we first we got Dave Filoni, then we got Rick Fumayawa. So like we're getting each of those guys' vision. And then soon these next two episodes are directed by, directed by women. So we're, we're getting each of their takes on Star Wars and getting to appreciate them one at a time, I think, importantly. So that's yeah. really fun. And I, I've been enjoying that so far. And you get to enjoy the, the speculation aspect of it, too, because when you're watching like Stranger yeah. Things, for instance, you're like, oh, this one ended in a cliffhanger. I wonder what's going to happen next. Well, I'll just click to the next episode. <laughs> click. <laughs> but yeah, so you don't get to enjoy that like week of speculating and theorizing about what's going to happen next. So you get to enjoy that aspect of it now with the way they're doing The Mandalorian. So I'm right. really enjoying that too. Competitively, I think Disney Plus has that edge over Netflix. So I think that will that will definitely show over time with the streaming service. And I actually would not be surprised if Netflix ever decides to venture more into that realm of things. But so let's get right into The Mandalorian. I, I, I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of build the universe that we're in for the Mandalorian. So this is set five years after the battle of Endor, nine years after the battle of Yavin and 25 years before the first order is formed. So we're, we're not like dead smack in the middle between the two trilogies, but we're still riding high off that fall of the empire post return of the Jedi. So there's a couple of moving things happening, but from what I understand, this is a galaxy of disarray. We are in the outer rim with the bounty hunter, the Mandalorian and there's some weird stuff going on. I mean, the you know, we got Werner Herzog's character, some rogue stormtroopers with him. So and he talks about, you know, the natural order of things and hoping to restore that at some point, whatever, you know, from a certain point of view that means to him. And yeah. we also have the idea of money now being introduced into to Star Wars, which is pretty exciting, like actual currency in the universe that matters. Yeah, it was weird, like, seeing money because we don't actually right. get to see, like, material credits and things and different different currencies we haven't really seen that like physically in star wars so i thought that was really cool to get to see that for the first time yeah and i think it helps to build the universe to say there are different exchange rates he mentions you know five thousand imperial credits can't even buy fuel anymore and then grief cargo is like it still spends to which i was like what like that's a <laughs> yeah. lot of credits right and the mando would rather take half a pay cut just to get mon calamari flan than to take some currency he can't even use so to me, as my uh, my little econ major light bulb was going off in my head, I'm like, oh, this is a pretty high inflation universe we got going on here, which means things are just completely crazy. And I, and I almost think of like Germany, like post, I think it was like post-World War One or World War Two, when they had massive, I think it was post-World War One, they had massive hyperinflation, which ultimately was one of the things that did lead into like World War Two and why the, you know, the country got to where it was. So to me, relating it to this universe, it seems interesting that, you know, there's kind of the sort of hyperinflation happening where all of the currencies have lost their value relative to what they can purchase. And I think that's going to make bounty hunting a very complicated profession, like uh, Werner Herzog says. So for sure. And it kind yeah. of sparked the question in my mind, too, of like, 
is he not taking the Imperial credits because he can't use them? Because um, I think, what's his name? Grief, Grief Cargo, right? He said, yeah. I think he said they'll still spend, you know, what's the problem? And But Mando won't take them. And I think it's more like a personal thing because I was thinking about the purge that happened. Whatever the Empire did to Mandalore or the Mandalorian people, like, mm-hmm. is does he have this grudge against them that like, I'm no, I'm not even going to take their money. I like that you bring up the Great Purge. That was a question mark I had. And I guess, I don't know. I think this is correct, but I think the Great Purge is Order 66. Okay. Because I heard it referred to that as in Jedi Fallen Order. I heard like the Great Purge mentioned at one point. So to me, I never really knew what that meant initially. And I feel like a weird Star Wars fan not knowing that. But I think, um, I think the armorer said like this, the best car was taken during the purge, correct? Mm-hmm. So that that was interesting to me. Like, did the Empire just sweep in and like take Mandalore's resources? Right. Like right because, after Order 66. Yeah. Which they were weakened enough by what happened with Maul and Pre Vizsla and all those episode arcs in the Clone Wars. So Mandalore was pretty weakened at that point. So it seems like they stocked up on the best car. Yeah, I think there's some huge question marks about like how did we get from what things were like during the Clone Wars under Satine to what the Mandalorians were like in Rebels. Like there's a transition point there. And then there's another big transition point between that and what we're seeing now. Right. With Bo-Katan having the the Darksaber at the end of Rebels. (laughs) Yeah. And Katie Sackhoff like two days ago tweeting, wow, today was the best day of my career ever. Can't wait to tell you guys. And we're like, what? The Mandalorian season two is filming right now. What are you trying to tell what? us, Katie Sackhoff? Okay, I, I didn't see that, and I'm kind of freaking out now. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, here we go. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm all for that. Let me just say, if we ever get a Darksaber live action in the show, I will actually, I'll have to pause the show and just start <laughs> running around my house screaming my head off, because I'll be so excited. Same. <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of people that do not like that design, but I freaking love it, Oof. so... <laughs> And who better to bring it to live action than like John Favreau and Dave Filoni? You know, John Favreau, yeah. the literal wielder as Pre Vizsla in the Clone Wars, and then Clone Wars being a, a concept story by Filoni along with Lucas. So there's a lot I of cool things happening. Completely agree. Yeah. So I really like this universe a ton, and I think uh, I think it's a really interesting time in the galaxy, and. That kind of leads us into our hero's journey for the Mandalorian. So what we want to cover first here is like who is the Mandalorian and 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 what is he what is he all about? So looking at chapter one, you know, we got 39 minutes of it right about. And I can really see this as our our brand new hero's journey for the Mandalorian. I think chapter one is really about those beginning stages, and you can look at some of the work of of Joseph Campbell with Hero of a Thousand Faces, and you can see a lot of the similarities and parallels. And I do think mm-hmm. that this first episode is really about crossing of the threshold. So like him going from his so-called ordinary world to the like special world. And from my understanding, like, you know, the ordinary world is is what he's used to. It's the status quo. And I think we get that like right in the opening with him going into the cantina, like totally Western saloon style. Yes. And that's his ordinary world. He's a total badass. He walks into places and he doesn't speak a word. He just kind of takes his bounty and gets on with it and gets the credits and gets the next bounty from Grief Karga and goes on to the next job and so on and so forth. And it's pretty straightforward for him. He's very hardened. 
he uses a mask to literally mask his emotions and he just kind of goes from one thing to the next and i think he's pretty confident in himself so now we're taking that ordinary world and shaking it up a bit with this with this brand new bounty and he's now entering the special world where he's going to go through some sort of possible like metamorphosis i think so um what did you think of these like beginning stages for the mandalorian i was just really pleasantly surprised honestly because like i went into the show really excited but i was also a little bit afraid of it being too simplistic like is it just gonna be like he's going and getting bounties every week you know and there's not 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 a ton more to it i had very high hopes because of knowing dave filoni was involved and Mm -hmm. the things i'd heard and seen from the show but it's hard to like imagine what it's going to be like until you actually get to watch the show and so like when i saw these um mythological themes and motifs immediately like just in the first chapter I was immediately like hooked and I was like, okay, this guy, this guy's going on his hero's journey. And you can see how like, he's very, I don't know if one dimensional is the right word, but he's almost starting off that way where he's like, okay, this is me. I don't get, I'm kind of a loner. I don't get involved with other people. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just here to do a job. And he doesn't have that feminine side of himself, the softer side of himself incorporated yet. And so I was just like so fascinated with how that was represented in chapter one. Uh, is it okay if I go ahead and talk about the blurgs? Yes. Okay. Blurg so, on. Teach me how to yes. ride one. <laughs> <laughs> I got so excited when the blurgs showed up and at first you're just like, okay, he's getting attacked by a, a monster, right? That's the common thing in Star Wars. But then when he goes and meets, okay, how do I pronounce this? Is it Quill or is it Quill? Has anyone uh, like confirmed the pronunciation <laughs> of this? I don't know. I think it's Kuwil. Kuwil. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. call him Kuwil. When he meets <laughs> him, and you have okay, he's meeting the mentor. Back to Campbell's hero's journey, yes. and then you have again the classic Western motif of the horse taming scene, where the cowboy, you know, somehow rides this wild horse that nobody else can ride. He tames it. You have that in the form of the Mandalorian taming the blurg or writing the blurg and he can't do it at first and there's this really interesting part where Kuwil is like okay so the, it's actually a female and the females eat the male during mating and you're like <laughs> okay so that's not there for no reason they told us that this right. is a female blurg for a reason so you realize that Mando's literally fighting with his feminine side like the feminine <laughs> is attacking him and he's trying to fight it. He's not accepting it. He's not incorporating it until, you know, he finally approaches the Blurg with, you know, a gentle approach. He's not trying to, like, wrestle with it or try to dominate it. He just accepts it, treats it kind of like an equal, like a partner. And then that's when he finally starts to connect with it. So I think this is the beginning of seeing, like, Mando. It's almost like the special world to him. It's like the feminine is something that's foreign to him. He doesn't understand it hasn't incorporated it yet with himself. And so that's kind of what I've seen so far his journey is in both chapters. What do you think? Why do you think he's not incorporating the the feminine into his life? For me, I think it has to do with his upbringing. So, you know, we mentioned the Great yeah. Purge and clearly, clearly that has an effect on him when he goes to the armorer because, you know, as soon as she starts 
talking about him being a foundling and he was like i'm a foundling once and then he starts having all these flashbacks to him as a young child with his mother holding him on her shoulders and running from a droid separatist attack that's happening i'm assuming his home world and they leave the child alone so you got to wonder like what yeah. happens to him as a kid where does he get found how did the Mandalorians bring him in? Is that the homeworld of Mandalore that we saw? If, you know, we know that that's his people, that's his upbringing and his ancestry, as he mentions later on. And that kind of gets me thinking, like, maybe because he had that separation from his his mother, this is like a journey to, like, rediscover his, his or face his feminine, almost his feminine side, and to rediscover the mother, whether that's through Cara Dune, and this is like a first step in that by taming the Blurg, like you're saying. But I, that's kind of my initial read on it. What do you think? Yeah, I think thematically, it like on his journey, he is still a child, a child in a mask, one might yeah. say. <laughs> and he, yeah, it's like because he was possibly orphaned and separated from maybe his clan as a child, it's like he never got to complete that development, that transition into manhood. So he's still kind of, he's trying to be a man. He's putting on the mask, but he's still trapped in this childlike state. And I think that's kind of one thing that really represents that is the presence of this child, (laughs) the literal (laughs) child that he discovers at the end of chapter one. It's almost like this child is kind of a representation of his internal state, like you are still a child. And you need to accept that and accept that you need, you still have so much to learn and you're not going to become a man. You're not going to make that transition from childhood to adulthood until you can accept all of the aspects of yourself. And if he still has not accepted his past and what happened to him, all of that has to be incorporated and dealt with for him to make that transition. I've seen a lot of parallels with Kylo Ren. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to say it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Star Wars clearly has a thing for babies and masks right now. And if this, if we're to say anything here, Mandalorian is baby. I think that's the, that's the key concept, key takeaway here. But I think you just hit it, the nail on the head, honestly. And that's why I think, you know, the important thing I think you need to ask yourself as the viewer is why now? Like, why is this the time in the Mandalorian's life that we are put into? You know, why, why are we watching his journey at this point? You know, because I'm sure he's had many other missions that he's done that we could have been thrown into as a TV show and watched and gotten a lot of entertainment out of. But what is it about this particular asset that he has to capture? And I think the real thing is this, this asset throws a wrench into his ordinary world that he's used to going back to the hero's journey. This, this child that he meets at the end of episode one, which we'll get more into, but he, everything's going not according to plan for the Mandalorian. You know, he goes to this planet. He doesn't even know really the exact location of this asset. He knows like the age roughly. He doesn't have a bounty puck. Nothing is going according to plan. And he gets there and he gets damaged right away from the blurgs and he's got to learn how to ride a blurg. And he's just like, I want to give up. Like, can I just like hire a driver or something to take me to (laughs) this base? And it made me think of the Luke line where he's like, you know, with the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? You know, it's the classic refusal to the call and the reluctance to change. And we see him overcome that change. And it's such a simple thing, even just riding a blurg and the Rocky theme literally plays, or at least I think it's the Rocky theme. And 
And Ludwig Göransson's music is just so beautiful in the moment that he finally overcomes that obstacle. So I think the reason we're seeing this is because we're seeing what happens to the Mandalorian when he nothing is his ordinary world anymore. He's he's simply facing every single obstacle he possibly can. So how does he react to that? How does he face change within himself? And yes, I think the child is definitely himself incarnate. Like his old, his child self is there in front of him. And now he's learning to grapple with that through another physical being. You know, I hadn't even thought of this like connection until just now, but when he goes to the flute guy at the very beginning when he has his bounty and he's like no i'm not taking that brand new nice looking speeder because a droid is driving it right i don't like droids yeah bring me the old like beaten down (laughs) speeder i'll take that one he he wasn't forced out of his comfort zone there he refused to be forced out of his comfort zone he was going to take what he trusted and what he knew but the blurg was him being forced out of his comfort zone like yeah you have to do this to get to your bounty so that's that's cool. I didn't think of that until now. That's a great connection. I hadn't thought about that either. So that's, I, I think that's on purpose too. You know, every single scene and every single decision matters in a TV show. And I think that you're totally right there. So, you know, we get through this, this episode and we see him finally cross the threshold. And what do we get at the end of chapter one? <laughs> we get Baby a baby. Yoda. <laughs> And Baby Yoda is okay. We can call him Baby Yoda. I know it's not Yoda, people, but it's yeah, totally I mean, cool. Yeah, we don't know the name of the species. We don't yeah. We don't have anything else to call him yet or her. <laughs> so, so he is Baby Yoda. And I think Ash Crossan actually asked Dave Filoni about that whole like debacle. Yeah. Of, like, it's not Yoda, but the people are calling it Baby Yoda. And Dave Filoni's like, it's fine. No worries. <laughs> like, that's cool. <laughs> so has yeah. the official stamp of approval from baby yoda so madison this in my mind is the part of the hero's journey where you seize the sword seize the reward it's almost like baby yoda represents the elixir that the mandalorian doesn't yet really know he's after he thinks he's after the credits but what really this baby represents is change for himself that's going to happen so what what were your reactions when you saw baby yoda i can't stop thinking about how damn cute he is i just Okay, when when they walked in and there was like a white, it looks like an egg. It literally does, which is funny considering the next episode, but it literally looked like an egg. And I was like, is that a crib? There, There's a baby in there. I guarantee you there's a baby in there. And it opens and there's a baby. But it was not, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was not a baby Yoda. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in love. Okay, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh my god <laughs> like i just melted i would and die when, for this thing i know I take a bullet when, for him when he reached out and you see the little hand come up i just died <laughs> <laughs> i was like this i never expected this show to be like cute or adorable right. or like soft and <laughs> it, it is so soft and it is so cute and i love it <laughs> It feels like a victory for all of these sequel trilogy lovers because you know for a fact like the dude bros who hate the sequel trilogy (laughs) or just people in general hate the sequel trilogy were like, yeah, the Mandalorian, like, you know, what up? It's going to be like this hard and gritty show that, uh, you know, it's finally what our true Star Wars fans deserve, whatever. And now it's just turning into the most soft show ever. (laughs) Single dad with his child. (laughs) 
like the second episode's called the child and there's a baby <laughs> like he's so cute <laughs> but know, when we got yeah. the first shot like the music starts playing it was just so beautiful such a beautiful moment and when it does the reverse shot where we're looking out of the crib and you kind of see the one ear you're like oh my god and then the head turns slightly and you see the other ear you're like oh my god <laughs> it is it <laughs> and then is. mandalorian's like I thought it was 50 years old and IG-11's like some species age differently. Some can live centuries, but I guess we'll never find out with this one. And Mando's like, no, you're not taking this baby out. He yeah, is a baby. I, like, I love him. You've made a mistake, IG. Like Mando's not going to let you touch the baby. <laughs> <laughs> In regards to the the baby, I think one thing that's that is interesting is, you know, we're seeing the emotions and expressions of the baby and if we're talking about the mandalorian being kind of or if we're talking about the child being almost like an extension of the mandalorian or like of his inner child self i keep going i keep wondering if we're ever going to see the mask come off and there were so many hints to the mask coming off throughout the episode i think the first bounty he brings in was like hey you're gonna take your mask off or do you ever i heard mandalorians don't do that or something like that so yeah do you think we'll ever get that touching moment between these two in terms of taking the mask off and you can see what his adopted adoptive dad looks like or what is really the significance of him keeping it on this whole time okay so first of all going back to him still basically being a child even though age-wise he is clearly an adult thematically still being a child i came across might be two kids standing on each other's shoulders in a mandalorian (laughs) suit just saying you've solved it that's it (laughs) But yeah, I I came across this interview with Joseph Campbell today that like really sparked my attention because of how well I think it could fit with um, the traditions of the Mandalorians possibly because in the new canon, we don't really know much about their traditions and their culture before or even after Satine's rule because she had kind of changed things to where it's like we're pacifists now. We're kind of abandoning this warrior culture that we have always been. But they seem to be post Satine going back towards that warrior culture. And so this interview with Joseph Campbell was really interesting because he talked about these rituals of initiation that were specifically performed in uh, New Guinea and Tierra del Fuego. And he was talking about how in these cultures, um, the young boys are brought up in fear of the masks that the men in the society wear. And they kind of look at them as gods. They're the personifications of power. And then when these boys come of age, they are taken by the men and they're kind of like kicked around a little bit. The The kid has to stand up and fight a man wearing a mask. And I thought that was so interesting. The, the man lets the kid win. It's kind of a very symbolic thing. And he takes off his mask and puts it on the kid. So it's symbolic of this kid is becoming a man and the mask is no longer kind of this myth, this kind of representation of like this person as a god. It kind of is showing you that this symbol of power in our society now belongs to you. It's shaped you and now you're a carrier. You're a representation of that power. Um, And so I was thinking about that in context with the Mandalorian warrior culture. And specifically, like in the the Knights of the Old Republic games, it's not canon anymore. But in those games, specifically the second one, you go to this uh, 
Uh, you go to Duxton, which is a moon, and there's a Mandalorian like land there, I guess you could call them. And to kind of earn their respect, you have to face each one in the arena, starting off with no weapons at all. Um, but they really respect this show of like uh, physical prowess and strength and skill in combat. So mm-hmm. I was making these connections in my head, and I was like, I wonder if um Mandalore has these same traditions like or it, it used to and maybe they're going back towards that direction now yeah and thinking about that with Mando I was thinking about when did he get his mask where did he get it from because um when he was talking to the armorer about like sponsoring foundlings helping them it's kind of like there's so few of them left maybe they're so scattered that they're not actually practicing these traditions anymore like he was so young when he was, um, I don't know if abandoned is the right word. He was saved by his family by hiding him somewhere. But he never got to have that rite of passage, that um, ritual of initiation. So it's like he missed that step. He didn't get to make that transition from child into adult. So I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting. Yeah, and I think that's why he see- when he sees the baby in there, I think his first gut reaction is that's me, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, this is exactly what I probably looked like all those years ago when when I was just becoming to becoming a foundling and I didn't really necessarily get the childhood that I wanted. And here is this baby that is now the conflict of so much in this valley. One of the shots that you get of of the baby, like when you fir- when he first sees it is like right on his face. And I want to know what his emotion is or what his facial expression looks like when he first sees the child. So yeah. we're we're so used to him being being masked, and I I would love to explore more of his of that culture if there was some sort of like ritual of initiation that he faced, even though he was left by his parents, you know. And I think I think we could get more of that. Do you think that might we might get more flashbacks incorporated into the show to kind of yeah. mirror maybe what the child's going through as well and how he's seeing himself through that child? I think we could, yeah, like. I was kind of expecting his background to be very mysterious and maybe us not even learn a lot about his background in season one because there's so many parallels between him and like Glenn Eastwood's iconic character, the man with no name. He was the Mandalorian was clearly inspired by that. So I was thinking, you know, I wonder if he'll be like this character and we'll not really learn much about him at all, at least in season one. But then they right off the bat in chapter one, they hit you with a flashback. So I thought this is going to be different. They're going to let us really get to the heart of this character I think and slowly over time keep showing us more and more about um where he came from and how he get how he got to where he is now so I think yeah. for sure that's we're gonna get more of that uh, I you know this is getting me thinking I wonder if somehow like we haven't really seen baby Yoda touch the Mandalorian yet I wonder if like the baby will touch him and it's gonna like make him have flashbacks or something or like the baby oh, wow. will almost have like a force connection like how Rey and Kylo have with their hand touch. I just wonder if there's something along those lines that like maybe the baby was going to touch him to heal him, but there's also some element of like the baby understands that he's hurting inside, like at his core and like nobody's really gotten that from him yet because (laughs) the Mandalorian's always been masked. Like we've been talking about, it's a way to have this kind of almost like weird alpha mentality of not showing any emotion, but the baby's Mm -hmm. like, I understand you. You know, I'm reaching out to you to comfort you, kind of like how the Mandalorian, when he was left by his parents, was reaching out to his parents for that comfort as well. So I do see that yeah. parallel there. But let's talk about little baby, little baby Yoda. 
I saw somebody post a video. It was like the baby shark song. It was just like Yoda every time they said shark. I thought that was pretty funny. But oh my goodness. Something significant to know. I had actually just read the Age of Rebellion special. It was a comic series about a week or two ago before this show premiered. There's a Yoda arc in that comic. And it's him right before Luke crash lands on Dagobah. And Yoda mentions him being the most, the last and most revered of his kind. So that is pretty sad to think that Yoda died thinking he was the last of his species. And now clearly that is not the case. There is another. Yeah. Which I don't think his line in Empire Strikes Back's being retconned to say, you know, (laughs) no, there is another. And they're like, not baby Yoda. But I just think it's interesting that, you know, there, there lives another in the world. And it gets me wondering why it's such a valuable bounty, because if it is the last of his species and we have this guy, Dr. Pershing from Camino involved, is he like trying to clone baby Yoda because there's so much value in being a force user and and that sort of thing? Like, what are your, what are your thoughts on on this being now the last true living, breathing uh, species of Yoda? All right, Brad, I was not going to bring up my conspiracy theory, but you have just opened the door. <laughs> Get on the tinfoil hats, folks. <laughs> so now I have no choice. <laughs> um, yeah, I was thinking about how that um, imperial scientist has that Camino symbol on his sleeve, which makes you wonder why. Why do they want Baby Yoda? Why is he so important? Um, and I'm going to make a Tross connection here. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go out on a limb because uh, I can't remember which. Uh, article this was from where I think it was John Favreau that was talking about how there are going to be some first order connections to the Mandalorian like there's going to be somehow we're going to see the very beginnings of the first order starting which obviously that formed from the remnants of the empire and we've already seen some imperials so um, I was thinking about why they might want a baby Yoda was What's so important about that species? Well, for one, they are extremely long-lived. They can live for centuries. And um, him having that Camino symbol on his sleeve, which was associated, you know, the younger clones can be seen on Camino wearing that symbol. You're thinking about the clones and you're thinking about, okay, what's Palpatine doing in Tross? We know the Sith troopers are involved. The name is interesting. We don't know anything about them, but a lot of people think they might be clones. So if we go along that line of thinking, um, the Emperor is very familiar with clones. He had his own clone army in the Clone Wars as Chancellor. And what was their major, like, setback? What was the problem with those clones? They had accelerated lifespans, so they aged very quickly. Um, And if you're trying to make a better clone army, why not make a clone army that can last for centuries and you never have to replace them. I mean, obviously <laughs> some would get, some would get killed if you're having a war. Right. But right. they're much more, um, they're a much better clone to have clones that can live for centuries than ones that are dying off quickly. If you're someone like the emperor who probably wants to rule the galaxy forever. So I was like, maybe that's why they want baby Yoda. If they want to somehow incorporate that, part of their DNA into these new clones. I don't know. It's a stretch, but I thought it was an interesting idea <laughs> to explore. <laughs> it is definitely a stretch, but that is the funnest part about theorizing. And it's a great theory, I think, because, I mean, you look at the Camino symbol, 
why is that on there? I mean, that's an active choice by the Mandalorian crew to put that patch on his shoulder for a reason. They could have just made literally any symbol, but it just happens to be the Kamino symbol. So I think there could be some element of wanting to replicate that DNA from Yoda or even just learn from it, you know, which yeah. makes me really sad because stay away from my baby. He's cute and cuddly and I want to protect him. And if any of you out there touch him, I will be forced to take action against you. So <laughs> I think Mando feels the same way. Yes, he definitely does. You just can't see what his face looks like. You know, he's definitely <laughs> a softie under that helmet. We all know it. That's what the Mandalorian show is about. It's about him finding his soft side. Once again, that's been that's been uh hardened over for so long really quick this was such a brief yeah. moment but it, like i can't be the only one that just melted when it happened um at the very beginning when they get attacked by the trandoshans and he immediately like before he even fights he pushes baby yoda out of the way <laughs> like uh. and he makes this weird sound too when he falls backwards in the crib <laughs> it's like a force sound or something i was like oh so cute like poor baby got whiplash but at the same time it was like so adorable like he has that protective instinct of like a father and i was just like uh i melted also worth noting that was one of my favorite editing moments of the two episodes so far was when the tracker is on the ground and beeping and mando looks at it and the drum starts going along synchronized with the beeping noise and then it kind of zooms in on the baby and then back towards the Mandalorian and then back towards the baby again. I just thought that was a really great moment of editing right before we go yeah, into the, sure. the title card. So props to props to the the crew there at the Mandalorian and Rick Fumiawa, who directed an excellent episode and worth noting, I believe he's the first person of color to uh, direct an episode of Star Wars or of, of anything in Star Wars. Yeah, I know we had one second director. I'm, I'm blanking on her name right now for The Rise of Skywalker. That's some awesome progress right there. So um, I was just going to say also like major kudos because for like the first 15 minutes probably of the episode, there was no dialogue. And I did not even notice until I like saw other people pointing that out later. I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like there was mm-hmm. no dialogue for like 15 minutes for like half the episode. And it yeah. didn't matter. Like, right. They were... They're, they were showing instead of telling so effectively yes. that you don't even think about the lack of dialogue. It's so powerful. It, it was just amazing. Yes, that, that speaks to the strength of the show so far. And I've heard a lot of people also making the comparison between the relationship between the baby and the Mandalorian as the lone wolf and cub reference. Uh, I don't know if you know much about lone wolf and cub. I personally didn't heading into the show, but I kind of read a little bit about it. But the I the general the general gist of this is there is a character in in Lone Wolf and Cub. His name is Ogami Ito. I'm probably going to butcher these names, and I really apologize. But he is a swordsman. He he serves in this clan as a shogun executioner. So his wife is Azami, and they give birth to their son Daigoro. So one day Ogami returns to their house and finds their whole household brutally murdered with only the newborn remaining behind. So basically it's like these two in the family that are left behind and they start to kind of wander the country as quote unquote demons and like an assassin for hire team that become known as the lone wolf and the cub. And they vow to destroy the Yagyu clan to avenge Azami's death. So I find that really interesting, and I think the imagery that first pop, first pops into my head is like literally the the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda 
that horizon shot that we get with only their silhouettes. That's a great shot. And I think of them wandering that country together as a kind of dangerous crew, even though the baby is just a baby and he can't really do much. (laughs) I mean, he can use the force, which is pretty great. We're going to talk more about that. But I just I I thought that was a really interesting parallel that I've heard some people talk about. So I'm excited to see maybe where the show goes and what sort of involvement Baby Yoda has to maybe have even more of an impact on the story besides being super cute and bringing out the soft side of Mando. Yeah, it's just such an amazing dynamic that I had not even considered like featuring into this show, honestly. And then it's like, okay, so you've got tough guy on his own, right? What's Mm. the most interesting thing you can do? It's put a baby in the mix (laughs) who is going to inherently bring out that softer side that he doesn't want to show anybody. It's just really brilliant. Oh, it's so good. And I think too, the baby kind of represents like a silent judge of the Mandalorian. I know you mentioned Mm -hmm. there was like 15 minutes of no dialogue, which is definitely from a cinematic standpoint, very beautifully written and shot. It just seems like he is watching what the Mandalorian does as he shoots Jawas, as he kills Trandoshans. And he's kind of like judging the Mandalorian a little bit, you know, he's like, is this really the life you want for yourself? (laughs) You know, like, why are you disintegrating this Jawas? (laughs) Yeah. And he almost seems kind of surprised after he shoots the first job. Like, little baby Yoda kind of tilts his head. <laughs> and I was like, he's, like, very confused why Mandalorian's doing this. And he pro- it's probably because he senses something about him that even the Mandalorian doesn't understand about himself. So I kind of yeah. see the baby Yoda as, as that silent watcher and even literally watching him when he's fixing his armor. I thought was such a beautiful scene with him. When he first stepped up and started taking steps, I was like, what? What? It's like, whoa. <laughs> he, he can so walk. <laughs> and I think, too, when he eventually goes to... There, there was just a lot in this episode. I don't even know where to start, honestly. Did you want to start kind For of real. talking about like some um, of your favorite moments from this? Because we, we have the Jawas, the, the Mudhorn, all the stuff. Um, really quick on the flip side of like how Baby Yoda's like watching the Mandalorian and thinking about his actions. I thought another really great moment at the beginning of the episode was when... Um, in my interpretation of the scene, it feels like Mando's just realized I've killed people in front of this baby. Like when he looks at baby Yoda at the end, it kind of feels like he's going like feeling regret Mm -hmm. because I saw this violence and killing when I was just a kid. And now I've just killed in front of this other kid. Right. And you can almost feel that regret there. And I thought that was another really great moment. He doesn't want that, that baby Yoda to have the same childhood he, he had. He wants a better life for him. And exactly. I think that's why we're going to see the change happen within the Mandalorian, because now he has more responsibility than just killing people or putting them in carbonite and getting some money and then doing it so on and so forth. Yeah, I thought the references in the Jawa scene were very excellent. There were some Indiana Jones references in there. I saw a Batman Adam West going up the wall with the with the rope reference. Uh, there were a couple mm-hmm. things in there, but that was a great scene to finally see Jawas again. I think that was like the most of any Jawa cutscenes that we've had in anything yeah. combined. <laughs> so that was pretty and cool. And they have, these Jawas have red eyes instead of yellow eyes, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> you probably didn't recognize them with the red eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that whole scene was great. And then going to get the egg, what did they call it? It was like, Suga, 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 yeah. (laughs) We speak Jawa now. That was also a great moment when he's like, "You want to see Jawa?" And then he just takes out his flamethrower and he starts spraying it, and they're all going crazy, dying, laughing. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I look at chapter two, the child, as 
almost the belly of the whale step in the the hero's journey. So it's really interesting because the the cave that he goes into where the mudhorn is, like when I first saw it, I was like, okay, this is very womb-like. And it made me think of Rey going into the cave in The Last Jedi. And I know a lot of people called that like going into the the womb as well. And there's a ton of that kind of imagery in The Last Jedi. So this to me was very interesting. And it seemed this whole scene was a literal rebirth of the Mandalorian. He goes in and he comes out on the brink of death. So it's it's like he goes through this uh, this resurrection and he seems like he's almost in a fugue state after it happens and in reference to baby Yoda using the force he says, you know, I don't even understand what happened when when Kuil asks him. And I was looking up some Joseph Campbell stuff and it says here from A Skeleton's Key to Finnegan's Wake, which was a 1944 book I believe from Joseph Campbell and Henry Robinson. And Joseph Campbell here says the idea that the passage of the magical threshold is a transit into a sphere of rebirth is symbolized in the worldwide womb image of the belly of the whale. The hero, instead of conquering or conciliating the power of the threshold, is swallowed into the unknown and would have appeared to have died. Which makes me think of Baby Yoda literally watching the cave and just seeing the, the red blaster fire. So it appears that the Mandalorian has died, right? So instead of passing outward beyond the confines of the visible world, the the hero goes inward to be born again. And it talks about this devoted moment of like entering a temple almost and undergoing a metamorphosis. So like the temple represents this almost womb where you're, you're coming out a new person. So I, that's how I saw this whole scene, which I found really interesting. He goes in thinking he can do this pretty easily again. Nothing is going according to plan. He almost pretty much dies and he would have died if not for, for baby Yoda. So it, it does seem like a classic Yoda moment where if the baby could talk, he would have said, that is why you fail, you know, like Yoda does yes. in Empire Strikes Back. So th- kind of going back to that silent watcher, silent observer theme for for baby Yoda. Yeah. And when he goes in, he literally, when baby Yoda is watching, there's the blaster fire. Then he literally just comes like shooting out of there. <laughs> like, <laughs> baby Yoda's in like, case, Yeah. In case you weren't getting the metaphor, like, and it's all like, muddy too like he just gets coated in mud like the metaphor is totally there and he's literally going in to retrieve an egg like as soon as the Jawas were like go you gotta go get this egg I was like yep we're going there we're going there with Mando like again confronting the feminine and literally battling with it because (laughs) I'm assuming this mudhorn was the mother yeah just you know so Again, he's fighting with another female creature, just like the Blurg in the last episode. Yeah, the egg, the egg is literally in the womb. So that whole scene was nerve-wracking. It was. Oh, I couldn't take it. It was so it. intense. I was I more was concerned actually, about Baby Yoda. Oh, gosh, yeah. When he like has to swing his arm and move it out of the way at the last second, I was like... <gasps> <laughs> yeah, the, honestly, I was thinking, like, this is PG. Like, it felt PG-13, the way it was so intense. But it, it's like, no, this is PG. Like, but just the way it was shot and the the sound design is just absolutely amazing on this show so far. It just feels so raw and it's so intense because this character, you're like, they have to survive um, purely on their, their skills that they have and their equipment that they have because they don't have the force. Like he, mm-hmm. he just, he doesn't have that. You know, when you're watching a Jedi in these kind of situations, you're feeling a bit less nervous 
But in this situation, it's like, this is life or death. And you, yeah. you didn't know at that point if baby Yoda could help or not. So he's just kind of, at first you're feeling like he's a helpless observer, but then the twist comes. <laughs> so cute. We just see the little hand go up. That's the, I was like, oh yes. my God. <laughs> It was amazing. Jesus. Oh, God. He's it so was another cute. beautiful reminder from Lucasfilm to, again, all the dude bros and people out there who were like, okay, Ray hasn't had enough training. You know, she can't do that. She can't lift the rocks. It's like, okay, Lucasfilm's like, all right, so here's a baby with zero <laughs> training who knows nothing, of, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> lifting this massive creature, like using the force. It's like, it's not yeah. about that it's it's about having that childlike faith and that childlike imagination and not limiting yourself because that's the problem as you get older become an adult you start limiting yourself with your fears but as a child you don't have that same you're not constrained in the same way you don't have that same fear it's kind of like just believing i can do this if i have to you know and so i i loved that moment so much Thank you for bringing that up, especially. And I've heard some people when they when we say that they're like, "Well, the baby's fifty years old and raising." I'm like, "God, <laughs> stop! Just stop. Go in a cave and never come out. <laughs> yeah, like just stop. Go in that cave and think about what you did. Have a rebirth. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I do want to bring up actually something from uh, Star Wars Resistance, just in relation to the Force, and it's a Mika Gray quote at the end of that episode. Spoilers, I guess. But she says, you know, this, the force doesn't belong to any one person. It is something that is inside all of us. We just find it in different ways. So, yes, you don't have to be trained, super trained as a force user to use the force. It's with inside all of us. And if you are able to tap into it somehow and find your peace to look inside yourself and use it, that says a lot about you as a person. It is not something where you level up and you can use the force like freddie prince jr said it's not a video game you don't level up it is always there it surrounds all living beings the trees the rock all of that that yoda says and that's why we see this baby able to use the force with zero training is because it doesn't matter you know so thank you for bringing that up i think that's an excellent point to make yeah for sure it's it's more about like knocking down the boundaries you've put on yourself than anything yeah yeah, exactly. Speaking of helping to knock some some boundaries down, I think let's go back to the mentor archetype for Kuil. He's definitely very important in the Mandalor- Mandalorian's journey. And I, I wrote this down. I, I feel like he's not even real. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I honestly, this is my conspiracy theory and I know it's not true. But my conspiracy theory is Kuil doesn't exist. He is a figment of the Mandalorian's imagination. And he's re- it's really just his conscience there wow. talking to him. I know that's literally not the case. But I think that is actually the, the archetype that he's acting as. He's there to kind of guide the Mandalorian and make him go along those correct paths that he should be going along. Yeah. And it's almost like when he walks up to that one camp at the beginning of the episode, Kuil doesn't even look back. He knows he's already there. It's like he was expecting him. So that Mm -hmm. also makes me feel like he's like, he just is like kind of all knowing and he always knows the right things to say. And I think that's because he's probably dealt with many strangers coming into his valley before. And that's why that sounds so wrong when I say that, but uh, I'm sure the Mandalorian is not the first person to, to wander towards his encampment and seek advice. And one thing I do think is pretty significant is, you know, the man, he doesn't want any money from the Mandalorian. He says, Mandalorian says, all I can offer is my thanks. And he says, thank you for bringing peace to my valley. 
And the Mandalorian seems kind of taken aback from that statement. Like, oh, this guy doesn't even mm-hmm. want credits for the work I've done for him. What's that like? Like, I'm I'm very driven by monetary rewards right now. And Kuil says, good luck with the child. May it survive and bring you a handsome reward. And yes, yes, from a literal perspective, that could seem like a monetary reward once again for this bounty and bringing it in either dead or alive. It will never die. I refuse to believe that will ever happen. But I think it's not a literal reward in that sense. I think it's more of an internal change for the Mandalorian. That's going to be the handsome reward that he ultimately gets as part of the hero's journey. That is the elixir that he'll return back to his ordinary world with being a changed person and understanding himself better because of dealing with this child and protecting it in a way that he has never had that sort of protection in his own life. I completely agree. I I thought the same thing about that line. It almost feels like Kuil knows way more than he's saying. Yes. It's like, yes, I completely agree. Like, I I think he is real. Yes, I think he's actually there. But I think what he's representing (laughs) is kind of this spiritual and tangible figure who knows more than he lets on it's almost like he's the force in a weird kind of way because he's like thank you for bringing peace to my valley it's almost like saying thank you for bringing balance to my valley (laughs) and then when he's talking about like may the child bring you a handsome reward it's like he knows that the child is going to help the mandalorian like um grow and change and it's like he's he knows he's saying that but he knows that mando won't get that at the time (laughs) Yeah, it's just I loved that. And if we're translating, you know, may the child survive to may the forest be with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how often do we say the word may in the Star Wars universe? I know that seems like a silly thing to say, but I mean, when you think of the word may, that is like goes right to may the forest be with you. So may the child survive. May the forest literally be with you to guide you along your path through this child. And I'm so excited to see where this takes us. And now we're getting so many people introduced we're getting Car- Cara Dune soon. We're getting Fennec yes. Shan, I think her name is, the assassin. Yeah. We, I think we're getting IG-11 back. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm very confused yeah, by that I, one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Based on how much he's been in the promotional material, I would be surprised if he didn't come back. Right. So there's a lot to come between these two. So was there anything else that you wanted to add on this episode? Again, I think this was a great episode to build the relationship between the two characters, even with little to no dialogue. And I think that's really where this episode's strength is. Yeah, I think the last thing is just speaking about the Force and talking about how Mando's kind of transitioning and having to deal with the special world now. I think the Force is also a representation of him trying to deal with the special world that he doesn't understand. Like, he's never seen the Force, and this is kind of his first encounter with it. So he's getting thrown all kinds of curveballs that he doesn't understand. And yeah, it's yeah, it's been great to see so far. I can't wait to see what comes next. Oh, so excited. We're only, I guess, as of this release of this episode, one more day. Oh, so exciting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to round out the show with an Easter egg roundup. There's certainly plenty to go around in this realm. And I wish I had enough skill to pull the Carl Weathers line where he says, did you catch them all? And of course, you have to think of Pokemon when he says that to the Mandalorian. <laughs> <laughs> Big one for me I thought was a lot of fun was Life Day. Someone say Life Day? When he first yep. captures poor Mithral. Oh, he's never going to make it back to his family in time for Life Day festivities. That's <laughs> oh, so sad. 
But for those of you out there who don't know what Life Day is, it was first introduced in the Star Wars Holiday Special in 1978, and it is a holiday recognized by the Kashikians to celebrate Wookiee culture and family, and it involves a large feast and a journey to the Tree of Life, which is like the original seed of life for all of Kashyyyk. That's what it's supposed to represent. So... But for mo- most Star Wars fans, it represents something we never want to see again, and we want to stick our heads in the sand and just pretend it never happened. Although, I've heard John Favreau does actually want to make a new holiday special, and he said he already has somebody in mind that he would get involved. All I'm saying is if you give me a Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver holiday special, I'll probably lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're like me, the holiday special is just like this legend that you've heard of but never actually seen yourself and you're kind of scared to watch it because of the <laughs> I haven't watched massively it the massively divided opinions about it <laughs> <laughs> and it's not on disney plus which is a big surprise i find that interesting get it on disney plus guys yeah. come on <laughs> so what were some easter eggs that you thought were fun um i enjoyed the mythosaur reference which is also a, a holiday special reference as the symbol uh, the very recognizable symbol of the mandalorians the like Goal shape that a lot of right. Boba Fett fans would recognize. Um, I thought it was cool seeing that symbol in their like, I don't know what to call it, their hideout, their forge area. I thought yeah. that was cool. Yeah. And speaking of that forge area, I think we saw a peak of Boba Fett in there. I know some people <laughs> were here we go on the Boba Fett conspiracy train, but there was some sort of Mandalorian people were pointing to a very similar color scheme of armor. So I know some people were thinking maybe that has to do with the guy in Aftermath who supposedly steals the armor from the Sarlacc pit, but it could, maybe not be. I don't really need it to be Boba Fett. I'm kind of over it, but uh, it'd be kind of a little fun nod if maybe that's the guy who is pretending to be Boba Fett. I don't know. I don't think that'll ever come into play, but... I'll have to look for that guy. I missed him. Yeah, and Emily Swallow plays the armorer. She's from Supernatural, the TV show, so that was pretty cool. I thought she was a really awesome character. I hope she comes back in some fashion. I would like to see more of her involved in the show. I don't want her to just be kind of like one of those brushed aside characters. I think she probably has a pretty cool background I'd like to learn uh, more about. I don't um, I don't think this, this show has been anything like a video game so far, but I couldn't help but think about a video game when he was like getting his new armor made and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I would not be surprised if like in a video game, he like occasionally comes back to visit the armor and gets new pieces and eventually yeah. gets the whole like best car set mm-hmm. well somebody pointed out that one ew photo of him and cara dune in like a fighting stance like all of his armor is like the new best car steel yeah so yep. i think we might see him go back to the armor possibly in episode three and get that although does that mean you're turning the baby in i hope the show doesn't go down the route of like he turns the baby in at the beginning of episode three and then he realizes mistake and then the rest of the series or the oh season is gosh. him trying to recover the baby again. Imagine the stress. I would be so stressed. Oh, <laughs> God. Oh, I can't deal with it. I hope he pulls some sort of scheme where he gets both. Yes. Like, he gets to keep the baby and gets the best car. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if he gives the egg to... I feel like he'd have to look inside. But imagine if, like, Warner Herzog doesn't look inside the 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 crib and mandalorian just gives it to him and he runs out and he's got yoda in his hood or something (laughs) surely they would check because they're like we need proof of termination right or or whatever although if 
they think he's alive in there. I, I don't know. They'd be <sighs> stupid if they didn't check. But <laughs> it's going to be such a sticky situation. I'm so excited yeah. to see what happens. But uh, <laughs> one final Easter egg too is Long Snoot, as he's called. I guess he's his actual species name is the Kubaz, but he's the one that summons the Uber right in the beginning of the Mandalorian <laughs> chapter one. And that's the first on-screen appearance of a Kubaz since A New Hope. Uh, but we did get a small story for him and from a certain point of view. So that was pretty cool to see that species back, hearing his little sound effect for his voice. I thought was a little nostalgia hit for Star Wars fans. And then the flute came out and everything changed. Ooh. I think we should call this space lift. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> That guy's got to have a like pretty good gig. I feel like I feel like he does that for a lot of clients. So I it's just what one of those weird like. things that there's no explanation for, but it's Star Wars, so you just accept it. And it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, don't he's got question it. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a couple of questions from some listeners here who listen to Friends of the Force. So thank you. And if you do have any questions out there, make sure to at both Friends of the Force and Doing Talking on Twitter. And let us know your your questions with the amazing hashtag of complicated confessions. Yes. I, I, I feel like we're the first. <laughs> I feel like we stole that pretty pretty quick off the bat. So go us because <laughs> that is an incredible hashtag. So uh, we are very proud of that one. Don't you agree? <laughs> so if you have any questions, make sure to add us and use that hashtag. Again, complicated confessions. Or you can send us an email at friends of the force podcast at gmail.com. What's your email, Madison? Uh, it is madison at doingtalking.com. Perfect. So send in your questions. You can send in audio versions of them or just a written one. Do whatever you'd like, but we'd like to try to answer questions each week. Uh, this episode's running a little longer because we are recapping two episodes, but moving forward, we might make a more dedicated segment to this sort of thing, depending on how many questions that we get, I imagine. So Madison, do you want to read our first question from Donnie Jeep? Yes. So he said, okay, fun ones, at least I hope. <laughs> <laughs> On which Star Wars characters would you put a bounty and why? Mm. I got to say Greedo. Because you, okay. you can't just use the word McClunky and get away with it. You've got to pay for that. <laughs> so I, I'm, going to for not ta- I'm going to not take this question seriously at all and say that I'm going to put a bounty on Ben Solo so that then a bounty hunter will bring him to me. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Driver just shows up in your living room. He's like, where am I? You're like, "Uh uh-oh, hi. (laughs) This was a mistake. (laughs) I just get force choked and he leaves. (laughs) I'd be okay if Adam Driver force choked me. I'd be like, "Eh, okay, that's a pretty (laughs) badass way to go out, I guess. (laughs) He caught me slipping. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, part part two. If you were a bounty hunter, who would you pick to be your partners? Pick one droid and one human slash alien species, but no force users. Sorry, Maddie. Ben is not possible. <laughs> oh, he telegraphed that one. <laughs> he knew he your answer so to the well. first one already. <laughs> um, yeah. You want, do you want to go first with this one? Um, I need time to think. You go first. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, oh, crap. Let me species. See. Alien and a droid. For a droid, I got to pick the KX series, the K2 droid. I think that would be a really yeah. fun one and super sassy droid to be along as my sidekick. In terms yeah, of a species, effective. yeah. In terms of a species, I have to say an Ewok. After reading Last Shot by Daniel Jose Older, the 
the slicer Ewok in that book is my favorite. I forget the name of it, but that was pretty awesome to see that Ewoks can do more than just be cute and cuddly. So I think that they would be a great partner in crime to basically unlock any doors or any, any knowledge that I need. I would love to have a Wookiee as my backup. <laughs> I can just rip people's arms off right. and people wouldn't mess with me. So I'm going to go with a Wookiee. Awesome. Oh, I didn't pick a droid. Oh, um, yes. Uh, I thought the IG droid was pretty cool. I'll go with an IG yeah. droid. They're pretty effective. Gotta say, we didn't really bring this up too much, but Taika Waititi, I love his formality in the first episode. Just how he he's like, Mandalorian's like, are you hurt? And he's like, says something like, they missed my core processing unit. And he's like, is that good? And he's like, Zzz, and he moves over. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good job, That's Taika so Waititi. I hope we see more of his IG-11. He was so funny. I love that guy. Yes. He kept trying to self-destruct. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That's such a funny moment. He's like, stop self-destructing. <laughs> no. <laughs> but IG-11's kind of like a child. He's got to like keep him in, keep him in line from stop self-destructing. And then you got baby yeah. who's trying to crawl out of his crib every five seconds. <laughs> Imagine him trying to deal with both at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so our next question is from Raylo May at May Raylo. They ask, so the little I know from the Mandalorian is strictly from the Dave Filoni series Rebels. Does it seem like any of this show will dig into the history of the clans? Do you think it will see Satine's sister or any of Sabine's family at any point? Hashtag complicated confessions. Uh, I would say yes. I think we're going to dig more into the Mandalorians, especially because we've seen a couple of them in that armory area. So we've clearly known that there's more than just the single Mandalorian. So I would yeah. honestly be surprised not to explore that more, especially considering I believe Dave Filoni is directing the season finale of season one, which I find to be interesting. So I'm hoping maybe we'll get some like some kind of cliffhanger moment where it connects back to a character that we might know, whether it's Bo-Katan or maybe like a Sabine or something along those lines to end the season like jaw dropped. Yeah. And there was that really interesting line from the armor about like, has your signet revealed itself yet? And he's like, no. Mm -hmm. So it's like, which land does he belong to i feel like that's the question she was asking so hopefully we'll get that answer next question here is from martin mead at arsenal man 2013 he says would you want the mandalorian to reveal his face or for him to keep the helmet on and keep the suspense also do you want his character to remain a secret or learn from his backstory hashtag complicated confessions so I'll give him credit. He did ask this before the first episode. So we did kind of go into his character's backstory a little bit so far. But Maddie, do you want to see Pedro Pascal's beautiful shining face in the series? Yes, I do. I, I don't want it to be like too often, though. I kind of want it to be a really like pivotal moment. So my my shipper heart is hoping that like, you know how Ben takes his helmet off for Ray. I'm hoping that Mando takes his helmet off for Cara Dune. Like, yes, please. Mm -hmm. Or I would also be happy if he took his helmet off in front of Baby Yoda. That would just be adorable. <laughs> yes. Oh, that'd be the cutest. I, I, I do think, too, if he does take his helmet off, it'll be in some kind of like life-threatening situation where he has to. But I think the mask means a lot to him. So I don't know. We'll see. If he really does get in touch with the soft side, though, and realizes the mask is just something to cover up who he truly is, maybe at that point he'll stop wearing it. But it is still yeah. very much a part of his culture. So. So this question is from Rafaela at, I'm going to do my best, Raf, Rafika? I don't know. I tried. Uh, Rafiki. <laughs> Rafiki. It's Rafika. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. So, um, they say, what do you expect to see in this series that is completely different from what we've gotten so far in Star Wars? 
I think this is a good way to plug Ludwig Goranson's music. I've heard some Absolutely. terrible takes on the score for this show. You know, I feel like people ask for new and different Star Wars, and then it gets different and new, and then they're like, it doesn't sound Star Wars enough. I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> you know? You but I do right. think Ludwig Goranson's score has been so beautiful. And sure, yeah, it does sound a little bit like Rocky a little bit. And I'll give him credit because he direct, he composed the scores for Creed and Creed 2. I think his score has just been excellent. And the use of like the sounds that he mixes in, especially during the Mudhorn fight, like you mentioned, Maddie. Some of that yeah. sa- some of those sounds are less like musical, like a John Williams, and more of just like suspenseful sounds that are supposed to make your heart race and i think that's sort of visceral reaction is what i want to get out of the mandalorian something i'm not really used to getting in the the saga just something that's just different and sounds different and looks different all at the same time so it all kind of combines together to form a different tone and different look so i think that's the biggest thing for me that i would like to see yeah i would agree i would second that i i told you that i this this music, the first time I heard it, like when I first heard Mando's theme in the in the cantina at the beginning of chapter one, it like threw me off for a second. It like unsettled me because it wasn't what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting because I was expecting different, but I don't know. It hit me weird at first, but then um, by the time of the Blurg scene where you get that really epic version, that swelling version of his theme when he rides the Blurg, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. I love his theme. It's awesome. And it's a mixture of so many elements that you would not think to put together. You wouldn't ever think these these genres of like music need to cross over. Like there's elements of synth and there's like classical and there's like even Western, like these instruments that you usually hear in Western films, bits of those thrown in. And somehow he makes them all work together and just masterfully combines them. And they're just they're just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so impressed so far by what he's done and it is really different from anything that we've heard in Star Wars before and it it gives the show this really unique vibe that I'm really into I love it yes well said and I do recognize too some hints of like almost like a Breaking Bad-esque soundtrack and even like a Blade Runner and you you do hear some Mm -hmm. hints of Black Panther as well considering he did do Black Panther. So like some of the more tribal music that plays throughout the show, I think that's really fascinating to me. But, you know, to be fair, if you're out there and you don't, you don't necessarily like, like the music, that's totally cool. It's just a matter of respecting the musician because yes, it might not be your favorite type of music for Star Wars, but just remember that Ludwig probably poured his heart and soul and take takes us very seriously. So I think it's just a good idea to to recognize that it might not be your thing, but to also respect the the artist and the composer when you talk about it. So that's that's my biggest thing. But I do love the music and I'm I'm glad you feel the same way, Madison. So I'm sure we'll get some amazing scores. And we're getting what, 25 minutes each week on Spotify yes. <laughs> to listen to. I mean, I've I've been exhausting that sp- that playlist so far. Just I, yeah. every morning I drive to work and listen to the soundtrack to get in the, the mood for the day. And I'm like, this amps me up. <laughs> yeah, same. I've just been playing it over and over again. Like it doesn't uh, get old. <laughs> so, so good. Well, that is pretty much it. Did you have any final thoughts on chapters one and chapter two, The Child? Any other things that you wanted to throw into the conversation that you think should be mentioned? Um, I will say one, uh, we did Peep Constable Zuvio in chapter one 
<laughs> as the running joke of where is Constable Zuvio. He is in the Mandalorian chapter one that was confirmed somewhere. Oh, really? It. Yes. Somebody I didn't know it like, had been confirmed. Yeah. Somebody who like works in Star Wars, I think, confirmed it, it like saying that he was in the shot or something. So I think that was really funny to mention. Oh, my gosh. And is he like over the moon? <laughs> Heath is. I think he tweeted about it and he was very excited about Constable Zuvio. <laughs> So that was my only other thing I'd like to like to shout out there. I think my final words. Yeah, um, I think I've said most everything. I'm just excited to see chapter three. You and I will be recording sometime Friday, Saturday or Sunday. But episode two of this show, which will cover chapter three (laughs) because we did two and one, will be out on Sunday. So you can stay tuned for for that. And I'm really excited to to see what what's to come on The Mandalorian. So I had a ton of fun. Madison, I hope you had a good time as well. So let's, let's kick out the show here with what we can, where our listeners can find us. Yeah. So, all right. my All of my episodes of Doing Talking and my Resistance show, The Revora Report, can be found on doingtalking.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Madison underscore Thames or at Doing Talking Pod. You can also follow my podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well. My channel is Maddie Solo. That's M-A-D-I hyphen solo. All right. And as for Friends of the Force, if you're listening on the Doing Talking feed, you can find us at Friends of Force on Twitter and Friends of the Force on Instagram. And uh, I have a Patreon as well. Uh, I know you have one too, Madison, but... Our Patreon is patreon.com slash friends of the force and our current Patreons. Thank you so much. Aldranian Rose, Chris from Kentucky, Michael Condon, Neil Lowry, real farm boy and T and friends of the forest is also a part of the star Wars escape pods network. Where's your Patreon at uh, Madison? It's patreon.com slash doing talking. Thank you for reminding me. It's like new to me. So I like sometimes yeah. I forget to say it. <laughs> yeah. I think you have, don't you, didn't you just get like one of your first patrons recently? Yes, I've got three patrons now. I'm very excited. That's awesome. Yeah, patrons are a really great tool for those of you out there who don't know about it, but it's a way for you to uh, give monthly to your favorite content creators. And for somebody like Madison and I, it definitely helps us out because, you know, most of us are doing this as sort of a side thing on top of our our regular uh, work hours during the week. So it definitely helps to Uh, motivate us to create more content and also to produce better content if we can use some of those patreon funds to get better recording equipment uh, better programs to edit etc all those sorts of things so it definitely definitely helps us out yes everything that brad just said (laughs) (laughs) so matt i'm gonna give you the honors to to close us out here on on bounties and blasters because i have nothing written on the google doc All right, well, the bone. <laughs> let's just do the tried and true. May the force be with you. Always. <laughs>